Ah! Hmm. You fucking asshole! Yeah. I know you are, but so are you. I'm trying to build bridges here. You couldn't fucking build Jeff Bridges. Hey, 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 what's going on? What's wrong? This man refuses to coach me. He refuses to stop being an asshole. Okay, Roy, you're not going to like this, but right now, Jamie here is being the mature one. It's true, I'm being super mature, you big dumb hairy baby twat. He just wants to learn from you. If you know how to make me better, I want to hear it. See? Fine. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. All right, now, here we go. You fucked him up. Whoa. Okay, expound. You've made him a team player. You've got him to pass and shit. And in doing so, you've made him average. Because Jamie, deep down, at your core, you are a prick. So just be a prick. We need you to score more goals and we need you to get in the other team's fucking heads and drive them up the fucking wall like only you can fucking do. So I can go back to being a prick? No. I'm saying sometimes, when it is appropriate, yes, be a prick. Okay. How will they know when? I'm actually curious about that myself, too. We'll give you a signal. What signal? Any specifics we need to look out for? You'll know when you see it. Welcome to another episode of the Revisited Podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Kristen. Just Kristen this week. <laughs> this week we are covering Ted Lasso, season two, episode six, The Signal. And if you can't tell, we're both giving you the finger right now. Yeah. <laughs> we're not. But Fingers you know. up. <laughs> Signals up. Bird by bird. Oh, wait, we haven't gotten there yet. I can't say that one. Yeah. Oh, well. God, it's a quick so line that happens in a couple episodes. <laughs> bird by bird, coach. Um, before we dive into stuff about the episode, uh, I haven't recapped it to yet because I was saving it for the podcast, but I got to see Brett Goldstein this week. I'm so jealous. How was that? That show. So Thursday night. So uh, the show was at the Met in Philadelphia, which is a beautiful venue. If you're from Philadelphia, it is a it it's an old metropolitan opera house that they completely refurbished and it's gorgeous in there. Even Brett Goldstein was on stage and he was like, this is one of the nicest venues I have ever performed at. Um, but like, so I, you know, a, a little bit of event here, like whenever you go to events, parking has become ridiculous. Like not price just, wise, yes, not just in Philly, but like anywhere you go. I've been to hockey games where parking was like fifty bucks. I'm like, so parking for the Met was fifty dollars. I was like, I paid seventy for the ticket. I'm not paying almost the same price for the ticket as I did for parking. Well, I mean, okay, so anybody that doesn't live in Philly, if you go to the Met, is there public parking like around? 
there's a couple public lots, but because these shows fill up so fast and sell out, you have to buy your parking in advance. You can't you just that? go. I didn't park. I didn't drive. Oh, good. So I took the train in. I took the train in the suburban station, which lets you out right by city hall. And then I took the subway because the Met is on broad street. This is speaking for anybody who's familiar with Philadelphia. There's a subway that runs up and down broad street. So I, it was a, 20 minute train ride into the city from where I live. And then a five minute subway ride back to or up broad street to the Met. So oh, not bad. Yeah. I was there in 25 minutes, uh, probably less time than it would have taken me to drive to and, and park, then park to be honest. Right. And I didn't have to pay 50 bucks for parking. Right. So, you know, I, I, I took the train in and went to the show and I, I had high seats. Like I was in the back of the house. Up I in the your picture. It was pretty nice. Yeah. Um, so I was up in the mezzanine back of the house, but I was right on the end. So I had plenty of leg space, which was great because that's what I enjoy. Because, uh, the you know, the higher you go up in those venues, the less leg room you usually tend to have. But I was right on the end. So I was like, yep, I'm good. Uh, although my calves really hurt because I took the steps up to the ha, mezzanine. Okay. My calves are still killing me. <laughs> I got to the top of the steps and there was another couple that were up there and they were kind of like catching a breather before they found their seat, which is what yeah. I was doing. <laughs> and we looked at each other. They're like, uh, like we looked at each other and they looked at me. They're like, Jesus. I'm like, yeah, they don't tell you on the ticket. You need to be in shape when you buy mezzanine <laughs> tickets. Because <laughs> there's an elevator, obviously, but it fills up. It takes so long to wait for it. I was like, I'm just taking the steps. So anyway, I sat in, he had an opener and the opener was good. And then Brett came out and he was no lie. I had tears in my eyes from laughing within the first five minutes of this show. Oh, I'm he, sure. He comes out and he has this book with him. He's like, we have a bunch of things we're going to get try and get through. He's like within like, it's going to be about an hour. And then, you know, if you're a good audience, we will, I'll answer some of your questions that you left for me in the box in the lobby, which I completely missed the box. Oh, no. Otherwise, I would have put a question in there. Um, so he does a little bit of Q&A drawing these questions for the box. And so it's all off the collar, off the collar stuff. It's all lasso related, right? No, no. It's actually really not. Uh, most of it was Muppet related. <gasps> did he do anything <laughs> with, did he do it? Did he do it? Did he do it? No, did he, he didn't do, any do of the it? Christmas Carol. <laughs> He did, however, talk about one of the stories. I don't want to reveal too much for anybody who might have tickets and plans to go see him. Um, yeah, Joe, press do, fast forward. No, don't press fast forward because it's he might not cover the same stuff because I've had people who have seen him and say he does this and then he never did it for us. So I think he rotates material depending on where he's at. Uh -huh. um, but he told, he told the story about, you know, doing Sesame Street and how it was like the greatest night, greatest day of his life. He's like, so much so that I don't know if I could ever have children. <laughs> because one of those, because one day my child will grow up and ask me, dad, was the day I was born the greatest day of your life? And I will be forced to tell my child, no. <laughs> and my, the man with no children <laughs> well yeah well, that's what he said like that's why right. i was like i don't know if i'll ever be able to have children he's like he's like my child will ask me that and i'll have to like tell them no <laughs> like it was great when you were born but have you fucking met elmo like <laughs> he does this whole bit about that and then he does another bit about the word cunt oh 
which did like, it he go, go off well? Because it's oh not yeah, a great it, word. No, it goes off great, and that's the whole point of the bit. Like he says, like we're going to talk about this. He's like, and it's going to make some of you uncomfortable. He's like, but that's what I don't get. Like. Why does this word make so many people uncomfortable in this country? Because in my country, we use it for everything. It's like, it's just the inflection. Because words have power. Because words have power. I hard disagree with him as as a male. Sorry, but as a male, you know, it's hard to disagree. But it's it's comedy, you know? So, like, Eh. it's it's a funny bit. You think he could do the same bit over the N-word? Because... Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, because that word is bad everywhere. Yeah, but I mean that word is bad for in me, his country too. I don't e- but I don't even I don't even like hearing the the, the C word. But okay. I call it the C word. I you know what okay. I mean? You're turning this into a into Whoa. a debate, and I'm trying to just make it about my review of Brett oh, Goldstein. Blah show. blah blah. <laughs> Then don't then don't come at me with that. <laughs> no, your audience. <laughs> but he it, the, the show was absolutely hysterical. Like I was laughing like so much so that I was almost tempted to get tickets to go again Friday night. That's awesome. And I but I didn't because I was like, mm, you know, it is $70. I mean. However, what I did do was I text my friend. I mentioned this last episode uh, from uh, one of my friends who works who's still one of the members of that morning show I used to work for. Oh yeah. And I text him as I was leaving the show. And I was like, dude, I was like, is there any way? I was like, Brett Gold, I just left the Brett Goldstein show. I know he's in town tomorrow night, too. Is there any chance you guys have him in studio tomorrow morning? And he texts me back like almost immediately. He's immediately, he's like, no, we tried. Trust me, we tried, but we just couldn't make it. Like we couldn't arrange it. I'm sure like, he's Damn. so busy. Yeah. Did he sing? He did sing. That's all I really. You don't have to tell me anymore. (laughs) He does a song during it. Um, And because I've seen the Muppet thing, and he is a very and he's a good singer. He he rewrote he rewrites the lyrics to a song, and I'm not going to spoil anything about that. Um, But it's like the last thing he does because he he like Weird Al Yankovic's a song. Yeah, he sings okay. it and then he puts his arm up and then it fades to black because that's the end of the show. Oh. And then he comes out and he does the Q&A stuff. Oh, cool. And was the Q&A cool? Oh, the Q&A was great. That was the uh, where, like I said, that was where he was drawing the questions from the box. How the long lobby. was the Q&A? 10, 15 minutes. So the show itself. So the show started at eight. He had an opener who went on till about 8.30, and then the show wrapped up about 10. So it was about an hour and a half show with him. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So then when the show was over, my train didn't leave until 10.59. So I had an hour to get back to the train station. I was like, well, I'm not going to take the subway because I'm going to get back in five minutes and have to wait like almost an hour. So I actually walked. It was about a mile walk from the Met back to the, you know, back to center city proper to get to independence hall and suburban station so that's a really good way to kind of like burn off the like adrenaline you have from a really good show because like when we got out of pink we went to the pink show jill and me and then our two girls we went to the pink show and i think when pink got out we were very excited and like we had to wait for an Uber for a while, but like we just kept walking and just mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It was just there like there's just so much adrenaline when you go to a good show. Yeah. And I think walking it off is a really good idea. Yeah. So it's about like a 30 to 35 minute walk. 
you know, back to the train station. So, and it was Philadelphia. About it. It was Philadelphia at night, you know, in the winter. And and there was no rain. Like the rain had stopped. So I was like, oh. it's, it's perfect. Like I'm just going to walk through the city and walk back to to the train station, which is what I did. I had my earbuds in my ears. I was listening to music all the way back and it was a good night. It was a, it was a really good night. She, you know what? Um, I would love to see Brett Goldstein. I really would. And I'd love to go back to Philly. I miss Philly. Your night was perfect. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it was, well, it was better than the people that decided to go to the Madonna show instead, because apparently she took Madonna two was hours. in town the same night. The same night, um, but she was playing the stadiums, so yeah. she was down like in a different area of the city. Um, but apparently, from what I read the next day, the show started at 8, and she did not decide to take the stage until 10 p.m. Yeah, she did that at Coachella the year that she was at Coachella. She was an hour and a half late to her own set, which, if you've ever been to a music festival, you know that that screws everything up when there's five stages for three well, nights. Unless you're the headline. If you're the headline and you show up late, it doesn't screw up the schedule. At Coachella, you have to turn the lights and the sound off at a certain time because it's right It's in Indio. It's right by Palm Springs. And uh, the people that live there get pissed. I heard Co- after time. I heard Coachella's dying. Yeah. Well, they turned it into a hipster, trendy. It, they forgot why they made Coachella. Like, this is just an aside, and I'm sorry for doing this because it's Ted Lasso show, but I was there when Coachella started from the very beginning, when it was a rock and roll show, when it was about new music and good music and under the radar music and the headliners were edgy. And the first, the first year out of the gate, 1999, I believe it was, Jane's Addiction was the headliner. Mm. And then we get to Beyonce. How does Beyonce fit in with Coachella? I get it. Beyonce's super popular. I don't need Beyonce fans. I don't need those trendy girls with the flowers in their hair thinking that they're hippies when they're not. When they're not. (laughs) You know? I mean, I just get so angry when I think about what Coachella has turned into because Coachella used to be something that my friends and I held very dear to our hearts. And it was ruined by mainstream media and new generation garbage. And I'm sure I'll get a ration of shit from someone for saying that, but I, I look, I watched Coachella die. I watched it die year to year to year. And it made my heart very sad. But I heard like, it's like, they're not even getting the big groups coming in anymore. Like, because and, it and sucks. The, and attendance is like dropping every year. And like, to the point where like, I think that the article that I saw or the report that I saw on the on the local news here when they were talking about it said that like they give Coachella maybe five more years before what they should do is they should go back to their original business model. They should pare it down. They should scrap just take it down to the studs, take it back to what it was, and watch watch Coachella rise again. But they're not going to do that. Because it's too, but you know, they got a little too big for their britches. Listen, it was great. The last year I went was the year was 2007. It was the year that Rage Against the Machine um, got back together. It was their first concert since they broke up, what, in the 90s or something like that. It was the best concert experience I've been to in years. However, however, because it was so successful, after Rage Against the Machine, it died. It just they just got bigger and trendier and 
I, you know, it just, they, they lost what they were about. In my opinion, Rage Against the Machine was the last good year. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and look, I'm, I'm with you. There's nothing like a good festival. I love um, festivals. I went to the last festival I went to. It's been a while. The last festival I went to was in 2011, and it was uh, headlined by Dave Matthews Band because I'm a huge Dave Matthews Band fan. It was headlined by Dave Matthews Band, meaning all three nights Dave did a set. But there which was is, which is totally normal for Dave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was a different, you know, different set every night, which was great. That's what he does. But it was it was in Atlantic City. It was at Banter Field outside of Atlantic City. So it was Banter, great. Banter like B A N T R. Uh um I'm trying to bring Ted Lasso into it. Sorry. I know, but a uh, Bader. I'm sorry, it's Baderfield. B-A-D-E-R. Um, but what I loved about it was there were a number of bands there that I had heard of before and a bunch that I hadn't. Mm-hmm. And I know that's how Dave is. Like he likes yeah. bringing in people that have, you know, that need the expo or that discovering new bands to- is half yeah. the fun of a festival. And let me tell you, when I got home from that festival, I bought easily 10 CDs. Exactly. Of bands that I heard. But, you know, like I'll, I'll give you just some of the rundown. So like, obviously Dave Matthews band, uh, Ray, Lem- um, Ray Lamontagne, I think is the name. Yeah. 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 Uh, Flaming Lips, OAR, Dr. Dog, Amos Lee, um, Michael Franti and Spearhead. Oh, Michael uh, Franti is my favorite right now. I listen um, to Michael Franti all winter because it makes me feel happy all winter. Uh, Damian Marley was there. Uh, I've seen Damian Marley in concert. He's pretty good. Um, Fits in the Tantrums. Oh, I'm Gu- sure. That they were high energy, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Guster, Grace Potter, and the Nocturnal. Like It was a super awesome like lineup and it was and that was 2000 but then i got to, that was 2011 that's so some of these before, bands weren't yeah. even some of these bands weren't even big yet but that's what i'm talking about that's why you go to festivals because you see those bands and you're like holy shit that's so good yeah so i get I it and I, I know we're fest. <laughs> i went to jazz fest back in 20 something and it was amazing. It was the first year, it was the first time in 65 years that they had to shut down Jazz Fest because of weather. Mm. We were flooded up to our waist. And it's in a horse, it's in a horse track. Uh, the festival is like in a horse track field or whatever. So we were all in like knee to waist high water with horse manure everywhere. And oh, you know that's what? Fun. And you know what? It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, again, getting back to the reason why we we're talking about this. Um, yeah, Brett Goldstein was great. If you have the opportunity, if he's come to your town, he's still adding more dates. Because oh, I think he's having a lot of fun. Is he going to North this. Carolina? I don't know. Nobody ever goes to North Carolina. No, everybody, like, shies away from the South Okay, with good reason. However, <laughs> there's some of us in the South that are desperate for some of this stuff. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat a joke that he opened with, and apologies if it offends anybody. But he comes out and he starts talking about like how there are things in this country he doesn't understand, and be for that reason, like he would never run for office here because he has no idea how politics and government work. <laughs> and then he immediately <laughs> follows with, and then he immediately follows with, so I'd be in good company and then goes <laughs> off <laughs> oh that's so true meaning how you know meaning nobody in government really does apparently 
So, uh, and you can tell, like, he doesn't get political, but you can tell some of the jokes, you know where he sides. Yeah. Well, yeah. is is he sane? Yes, he's sane. Well, there you go. <laughs> so just to lead into our Ted Lasso, because I do like doing a ladybug count every once in a while. <laughs> but you don't usually keep it on the podcast. We usually do it before we start recording. Oh, really? I thought that yeah. was good. Anyways, my ladybug count is seven today, which is what? less. I feel, like, I, I feel like you need to explain it now, because again, we don't talk about it on the podcast. I thought that we talked about it on the podcast. I... We bought a 110-year-old house about a year ago, and we did not know when we bought it that in the wintertime, ladybugs come here to... Vacation. Create. <laughs> Procreate <laughs> and vacation. So I have had anywhere between... what I mean, I've had high numbers of ladybugs. I think, I, I think the highest number I've ever heard you say was like 11 or 12. Okay. But I mean, that's just in this room around this window in my five bedroom house. So I'm just saying that I have seven. I said seven, right? Today yeah. it's seven. But if we go into my son's room, there will be at least a dozen. And it's all winter. And then they disappear for the year. And they go back three, outside. And two winters now we have had, I, I want to call it Ladybug Farm. You could, or Ladybug Ranch or whatever. It's just funny. Anyways, Ladybug count is seven. Okay. All right. Fair With enough. With quite a few dead ones. Well, that just brought it down. Well, the dead ones, I think that they just, you know, they lived a nice life here. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> let's talk let, Let's talk Ted Lasso. Maybe. It's only 20 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. This is the longest we've gone without ever starting. You know what you should do? Put in the show notes. If you want to go right to the episode and miss our banter, go to 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's it. That, I put timestamps for everything in the show notes. I put well, intro. I put main conversation, spoil, like all that <laughs> stuff. So they'll know when they see the show notes, like 20 perfect. minutes, main conversation. They'll be good. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't care. It's fun. It is fun. It's banter. Ha 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 ha. Hey, do we know if um the banter names on the app are are they just computer generated or do the users make their names? I think users make their names because Rebecca's is boss lady. Okay, but what does Sam's mean then? What is Sam's? Do you it's have like it L V N something? Do you do you happen to know what it is off the top of your head? Because maybe we can kind of. Oh, all right. So while LDN you're looking that up, LDN one five two. LDN one five two. Somebody says that it's a connection to Tom Hanks's AOL nickname from You well, Got Mail. We we talked about that last week. It was part of the rom com thing, but he had that screen name before that. We had seen that screen name before last episode. So. I, I don't buy that at all. I think there actually has to be something b to that other than that. I don't know. Um, but let me let me just put this out there again, as as we usually do. We avoid spoilers as best as we can, but we are going to talk about them a little bit later. So if you want to avoid spoilers, check the show notes and you'll know where to jump out temporarily. Just make sure you come back. Uh, you'll know where to come back in the show notes when we talk about favorite quotes and all that stuff. OK, I so, got it. So. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, spoilers, spoilers. Um, 
So Tom Hanks's was NY152 and Sam's London. is LDN for London. So I guess that makes sense. So maybe they did that. They were throwing that in there before they did the rom-com heavy Unism. reference. What did you say? Unism. Yeah, rom-com maybe. Rom-communism. Yeah. So maybe uh-huh. they threw that in there knowing they put that reference in there before they even did the rom-communism episode. Okay. So, okay. So yeah, LDN for London makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what is it? Mystery solved. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That was a very um, short-lived mystery. <laughs> but as you but you know, uh Ted Lasso season two, episode six, the signal. Which is so great. <laughs> I love it. See, this is to me Ted Lasso as, at its finest. Okay. I, while I thought last week's episode was super cheesy and just, I don't like tropes. We all know this now. Um, this this season felt like we were back on track. That we were back on track with the characters and the story, and we were going somewhere. You, I, I, I do want to put this out there real quick too. You fall in the minority too. Oh, I get that. Because we put the word out, like we were curious, like where other listeners fall when it comes to like the rom com stuff, and I think you were the only one that were like, eh, "I didn't like this episode because," but or I had okay. a hard time with this episode because I don't like rom coms. There were other so many people that were like, uh, "I don't like rom coms either," but I love this episode, and that's okay. You know, that's yeah. totally fine. I put it out there, and hey, if I started a conversation, then that's good too. Yeah. And I just want to say I appreciate listeners actually speaking up and and telling us what they thought about that because that was that was good. I love that we put the word out there and they told yeah, us. Yeah, I'm thought. sorry. I don't like them. I I don't even <laughs> like. I don't even like love the, the trope. The tropes, not the listeners. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you and I, whenever we talk about movies, I get really bugged about you know what you and I hate the term. Yeah love triangles. We hate it when movies fall into tropes or get too predictable or get too cheesy. I'm not a cheese person. I don't like cheesy stuff. If it gets cheesy or campy, I'm just like, why am I watching this? Well, I mean, and uh, to be fair, like I do agree with you when it comes to that kind of thing, but I also thought when it came to Ted Lasso in that episode last week with, with, (laughs) I was called it lavender again, Um, (laughs) (laughs) rainbow, I felt it was as much as I'm the same way, like I dislike overused tropes. I just thought that Ted Lasso's use of them was very tongue in cheek and they knew they were doing it intentionally. And for that reason, I appreciated them and actually enjoyed it. If it felt forced and it felt like they were trying to do it like subtly, I would have felt the same way as you. But knowing that the writers were just throwing as many in there as possible just for fun, for the fun of the episode, I was like, okay, like I, I enjoy this. I think this is a lot of fun. And that's awesome. I just didn't. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But this episode, this is my jam. I okay. loved this episode. There's a lot that happens in this episode. Holy and crap, this is jam-packed. There's a there's one moment in this episode that it's a matter of maybe a minute or two that I feel has so much great stuff involved. And it is literally, it's the moment where they give Jamie the signal. There is so <laughs> much that happens in that moment 
when it comes to Ted, when it comes to Roy, and it comes to Jamie. And Nate. And Nate. There's a lot of stuff packed into that one or two minute moment. Can we also talk about the fact that Ted really needed to like hide it? Like he's just like, I don't want to do this. Hiding <laughs> it under you sure we didn't find another a better signal than this? Nope. No. <laughs> and he hides it under his coat. Even though the camera is showing it to got it. everyone in yeah. the world. Like everyone who's watching is seeing this signal my favorite was that it still took jamie a couple of beats to realize what was happening oh uh, uh, yeah so do we want to just talk about that moment now since of we're course. already talking of about course. it so in that moment like when i look at my notes there's there's so much that happens like jamie gets that signal and like there's this smile on his face that like yes he gets to be a prick yes again. And he calls his shot. Like, he calls it out. Like, he says, like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to foul me, and then I'm going to score from all the way back here. And, like, he he gets fouled, and, like, he calls his shot exactly. He Babe Ruthed it. Yeah, exactly. He He gets fouled by that same player. Everybody gets upset that he gets fouled, even though Jamie knew he goaded him into it. And then he takes that shot and Roy is like, you know, like, well, should we call some try to kind of trick play? He's like, nope, no need. Little prick's going to make it from there. And they're like, no, it's, it's too long. And he kicks it and he makes that shot. And then that right there is where all this key stuff comes in. Yep. Because you see Jamie has his confidence back. Yes. He never really lost. Like he, he, he had most of it back, but now Jamie is fully this confident, great player again. But we also see that Jamie responds well to being coached, which I don't think has happened yet. No. So there's that. And then we see genuine excitement from Roy mm. when he makes that point. Yes, he was such a proud papa. <laughs> he was so happy and excited when he makes that point. And I think that's because this is the first real moment other than McAdoo earlier this is his first real moment as a coach on the team where he sees something he genuinely made happen like he coached into happening like yeah. he you know like he obviously he's like we see him coach colin and bumber catch a little bit early on in the episode but like this is jamie tart He's, I like, think we're that talking about. this is. I think that what you're trying to say, what I'm trying, what what I'm hearing is that he he has his own breakthrough that he can coach yes. Jamie, right? He yes. can, and Jamie can, and Jamie has his breakthrough with. Okay, we can work together because they because I mean Ted says it early in this episode. You have your own history. You have to work it out. You can't just come to me if you're having a problem with another coach. Yeah. But that whole scene with them actually like coming to a head and pushing each other in the locker room, and then, and then Ted is like, "Ooh, I'm kind of interested in this answer as well." Like he <laughs> yeah. was the perfect intermediary in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even going back to the point where, like, he, when he makes the point, like after Jamie scores, and he looks at Roy and he gives Roy the finger back, and yeah. Roy just kind of like has this like playful, like, "All right, like I get it, you did it." Yeah. And it's just it's such a great moment for 
Roy. It's a great moment for Jamie. And it's a great moment for Roy and Jamie. Yes. And, you know, anybody that has seen the show knows that this this, um, partnership just gets stronger every single episode. You know, this is our breakthrough episode with Roy and Jamie. And I really think that this is one of the best parts of Ted Lasso as a whole is this relationship is how this partnership between Roy and Jamie, even from the very beginning to the very end, it is, I would even argue to say that it is the main arc of this story. Well, you look at season one and these are two characters that even though they begrudgingly respect each other, they didn't like each other. You know, um, because and a lot of it stems from, as we talked about for season one, Roy saw a lot of himself in Jamie. Yeah. You know, his younger self in Jamie and Jamie didn't see anything other than himself in himself. Yeah. You know, so we've seen a lot of growth in both of these characters separately. So now that they're together again, now we're seeing that, like, yes, the respect for each other is still there. But now they actually kind of like each other. Yeah, they do. Well, begrudgingly on Roy's end. Yes. I think Jamie really looks up to Roy like he has since he was a little kid. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that while Jamie is on the path to trying to become a better man, a better player, I think that he is remembering the idolization that he had for Roy Kent. And it's kind of cracking through in small moments, you know? Yeah. And that to me is the fun part because Jamie is – at its at his core, Jamie is still a little boy who is trying to find acceptance from someone other than his mommy. And all, yeah, I agree with that. You know what I mean? But it, it's been great watching Jamie along this way too, because he's even become, as we've seen, we're seeing now two sides of Jamie that are actually able to kind of mesh together because we've seen Jamie, the prick in season one who takes all the attention, takes the spotlight, takes the point whenever he gets the opportunity instead of passing the ball. But, and now we're seeing that come back again, but we're able to see that part of Jamie mesh with the team player, Jamie. Well, and I'm sorry, keep going. No, I was going to say, because up until that point, he's been passing He's been like, we see Danny score in the beginning from a pass from Jamie. Like he's become a team player. He's celebrating with the team whenever another player makes the point. Like, and now we're seeing a great blend of both sides of Jamie able now to coexist. Jamie needed to pull back though. You know what I mean? He Mm. needed the respect and the acceptance of his teammates because he came back into an already solidified team where they got healthier when he left. And now it's like the cancer has grown back, right? So what are we going to do here? So I think that Jamie needed to have this time where he did pull back for a while. And Roy, Roy was right that Jamie's not playing at his peak, but Ted is right in the fact that he had to soften himself considerably to be a part of this team again. Well, you look at that. You look at the drastic difference too. In that season one, Jamie, whenever he was the prick and he made the point by himself, there were people that were upset that he didn't pass, he didn't share, you know, right. and they were and they hated him for it. Right. And now in this moment, when we see prick Jamie come back and he scores the point, everybody's happy. Yep. It's like okay, like yes, like 
now we're we're in a good spot. Like the team because is they, excited. They celebrate they with him, him when he makes it. Yes. It's trust, right? And then they see, okay, we see now we see this isn't Jamie. This is Jamie putting on a show for our team to win. Yeah. You it's know? a support this, this is, is a big difference. This is a matter of this isn't a selfish. This is this isn't a selfish prick. This is a supportive prick. Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds I weird. You, I forgot the signal. I forgot the signal was the middle finger. I, for some reason, was expecting them to all grab their balls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that is. Because he was a, he wanted them to be a prick. Oh, okay. All right. So, but I no, I love that. That would have been a little was... bit better than a middle finger, but it is a Roy Kent signal. So that makes sense. Well, and here's the differences, too. Like when you look at. It's kind of weird to think about, too, but the signal itself means something different from all four of those coaches. <laughs> if you think about it, Roy is giving him the signal because, like, here's your signal. F fuck off. I'm, you know, be a prick. Yeah. Ted is hiding it. He's very hesitant to do very it. Very uncomfortable like, with this. Yeah. He's incredibly uncomfortable doing yeah. it, but he's going to do it for the sake of the team. Coach Beard is doing it just because it's what needs to be done. And it's fun. Nate is doing it because For he real. still doesn't like Jamie. Yeah. This is an opportunity to publicly give Jamie the finger. Oh, if he could have given two fingers, I think he would have. Yeah. So there's like, yes, it is the signal, but it means something different to all four of the coaches individually, mm. too. I do enjoy, uh, just because you, you mentioned Coach Beard, I really, really, one of my favorite parts of the whole episode was was Jamie and Beard alone together. And he just looks at me and goes, I, I don't really I, know how to talk to you. <laughs> then it's working. <laughs> <laughs> I have that in my quotes still. I don't know how to talk to you. I don't then really know working. how to talk to you. Do you I, but we all have those people where we're just like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Where if you're left alone in a room with them, you're like, um, so... This is awkward. Yeah. I'm fine yeah. in a group situation with you, but one-on-one, -on -one, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We do. We all kind of have those people in our lives. I can, um, I can think of like two off the top of my head in two different scenarios in my life where I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I would do with that person <laughs> all alone. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's a little bit of a darker element that happens in this moment, too. Um, in... Nate gets pushed to the side. You know, Does he, he, he no, I mean, he physically gets pushed to the side when, when Jamie makes the point, Ted physically moves Nate to go congratulate Roy. So he is physically pushed to the side. I, you know, <laughs> Nate just wants to celebrate with Ted and the fact that they made a point. Ted pushes him to the side. It wasn't Nate's moment. No, it wasn't. It was absolutely Roy's moment. Right. And that's um, what, the, but that's the problem with Nate, right? Is that he wants all the moments to be his. He wants, and you have to learn that you're going to have moments that just aren't yours. Well, I mean, and I do agree with that. However, and we'll talk, we'll go deeper into spoil in this in spoiler territory too. Um, but I, I do kind of get, I'll save it for spoiler. I'm not, I don't. I don't want to say too much because I might say too much. Um, That's okay. 
But yeah, so I'll, I mean, I'll save it for for spoilers. But yeah, yeah. So all right. Um, but because because we do get another moment with Nate earlier on in the episode too. Yes, we do. Um, in that we see two different coaching styles from Coach Roy and Coach Nate. Yep. Colin I have this written down as well. Colin make well. Then why don't you why don't you bring us into it? Oh, I didn't have to. Okay. All right. So um. <laughs> So I did notice, my note is, th- is that Nate is invisible against Roy's coaching, right? Nate's, Nate's whole stance of coaching from what we've seen in season two is ridicule and um, putting, Insult. pu- putting them down. Yeah. Right? Insult. Yes. Insult and ridicule, right? And I th- think it's because that's, we've seen it. That's how he treats himself. And to a certain extent, it looks like that's how his father also parents Nate, right? So he sits there and he thinks when he's comfortable, he he steps forward and he calls uh, Colin a adult, which yeah. we see in the very beginning of the episode. Colin is seeing Dr. Sharon, I think, more than anybody else on the team. He is always coming out of her office. So clearly he's working on some self-esteem issues. He's working on himself. He's trying to convince himself that he's not a piece of shit. Right. And, and Nate's coaching is kind of undermining it. Yes. So Roy gives Colin a usable tip. He still has the same, you know, FU attitude that that Roy always has. However, he gives him something that Colin can use on the pitch. Whereas Nate is just trying to put him down and hoping that that gets him angry enough to to mobilize, which if if Nate was actually self-aware, he would see that the ridicule is what has kept Nate down most of his life. Well, I mean, and that's the thing too, like to, to, to come back with like ridicule and insult, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, it's like, yes, like, okay. Like you're insulting me for, for being bad. And you're kind of trying to encourage me. I get, you're trying to encourage me to be better, but you're not giving me any useful information. Roy gives useful information. He says, keep your head down, do this, then rip it. You know, Colin yeah. can, Colin can take that and apply it to his job. Well, I mean, and, and even, even in the sense that you mentioned too, with Roy stepping up and giving him useful information, I don't even think Roy's being a prick about it. No, I think it's, no. That's just Roy. I mean, right. that's, you know, he's, he speaks angrily, even though he's not always angry. Like that's well, just, just like how he Roy, is. What was it earlier in the season when he looks at Rebecca and he's like, no, you need to have standards. You need to be with somebody who feels like you've been struck by lightning, right? Yeah. That whole speech is said in his angry Roy voice, but it's all true. It's all empowering. You know, and it gets and it shakes Rebecca out of her settling mind, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it so works. actually, that's a good point. Like, we kind of saw a little bit of early on Coach Roy mm-hmm. before we saw Coach Roy in that he was coaching Rebecca. Yeah. And it worked. Rebecca was able to shake it out and get her confidence back. And now she, you know, has a booty call, regular bo- booty call. Uh, what was it? Hunky Luca or whatever. Hunky Luca. Yeah. yeah. Cause I even, I even have that in my notes. I have where, um, uh, Luca is an idiot and it's just a superficial relationship. Oh yeah. That's just, that, that is her plaything. but she wouldn't have been able to do anything like that had Roy not verbally smacked her upside the head. And I think that that, that approach of Roy is what works, especially for athletes 
They well, need they need that. Well, think about it too. Think about it from Colin's standpoint in that moment. We had you know Nate stepped forward and called him adult and Colin was just kind of shooken and just stood there until Roy steps forward. And that's the biggest part of that that moment too is that he's not standing next to Nate saying this. He steps ahead of Nate. He steps forward and then says everything he says to Colin and Colin takes it in and repeats what Dr. Sharon told him. I'm a strong and capable yeah. man who is not a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like we see that like Roy's coaching went hand in hand with Dr. Sharon's therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, whereas Nate's didn't at all. Nate's undermines Dr. Sharon's therapy. Yeah. And I don't think that Roy stepping out in front of Nate is Roy stepping out in front of Nate. No, Nate, I don't Nate, I don't think right? that at all. Oh, right, right, right. And I know that you don't. Yeah. But Nate sees it that way because well, Nate, he, Nate needs to go see Dr. Sharon. Well, but in addition to that too, I also see that as a learning moment for Nate because and I don't know if this is a positive learning or a negative learning because Nate sees in that instance that Roy steps forward, puts himself mm. up to the front says what needs to be said, and then it works. Nate uses that later on in this episode. Yeah. After Ted leaves the pitch and they see like they're all, the coaches are all confused as to what needs to be done after like the other team scored another point and Richmond needs to come back. Nate has an idea. So what does he do? He, he spits. steps forward. He <laughs> spits because that's his thing now, apparently. Yep. And then he steps forward and gives the order. Right. And But the big difference is that I don't know. And he know, does well in that moment. Not only does he do well, but he gets praised by Roy and Nate or and Beard. Roy gives him the kudos. Yeah. Because who was not it? Was only, it Rebecca? Not a, well, Rebecca not only that said does congratulations, Roy, Coach Roy. Yeah. Rebecca says, says congratulations. He's like, nope, that's all Nate. So what's important about that is that he's not just giving the kudos to Nate to kind of boost him. It's legitimate because he's praising Nate when Nate's not even in the room. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to praise somebody to them. It's another to praise them when they're not there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because then it's legitimate praise. Yeah. Roy knew it. And Beard knew it the moment that he stepped up and they were just like, all right. Like they put their hands up and they kind of just stepped back. And they let him do it. They said, you yep. know what? And that is, that's the lasso effect right there. You know, Beard and Roy have already been changed into better people because of Ted. Nate has not taken the bait. Nate using... Ted as his ammunition for why he's not getting what he views as quote unquote his. But here's the question. Had Ted not left the pitch, would that moment have even happened? I don't know. Would Ted have allowed that to happen? Maybe. Probably. Do you think think that Ted doesn't really respect Nate anymore? Is that what you're getting at? No, I, I think... I don't think it's, does Ted not respect Nate? Does Ted not see Nate's true potential yet? Um, Because we've kind of seen Ted undermine that a little bit too. Last week when he, like when Nate thought he was a big dog and Ted just kind of laughed it off. I'm sorry. I would have laughed too. 
I would have thought that that was a joke. I, I would have too. I laughed when he said it in the show. I was surprised that Beard knew that he was serious, which says more about Beard than, you know, anything else. But it, you also see, though, again, every single like, time, every single time Ted walks into the office, who is Beard talking to? Who is Beard in usually engrossed in conversation with? Nate. It's Nate. Yeah. Those two have been talking to each other in the background and have developed a relationship with each other that really nobody's paying attention to. It's just I in mean, the background. This episode, Neard, Beard and Nate are, I, I said Neard, <laughs> that's their ship name. Um, Beard and Nate, we're talking about Tortellini as, as Ted walked into the office. Yeah. You know? And, you know, that says, that says to me that, well, I have, I remind me in spoilers to expand on this. Okay. Okay. Um, so, where do you want to go yeah. next? Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with, with Nate just for a minute here. Okay. Um, and talk about like that, th that play where he comes out and he tells McAdoo to park the bus. Like he pulls the triple substitution, which apparently is rare, you know, tells him to park the bus and it, it's, it's a play that legitimately works. They, they score another point, they win the game and, you know, they move on to the semifinals of this, of this tournament. And we see from this in a mistake that Nate makes, <sighs> Nate, the wonder kid is born. This wonder is your kid, not wonder that's kind. What, that's what I said. No, wonder I kid. know. Sorry. Oh, okay. I was just reemphasizing it. Yeah, he doesn't realize that it's Wonderkind. That you know, completely different spelling. Well, in two letters, it's it's completely different spelling. Um, but yeah, you know, he makes that mistake, and the news runs with it. And Nate, going forward, will now be known as the Wonder Kid. Um, sorry. You know which I got a Leslie Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your, your noise came back, huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, we, we see that, like, again, similar to, I think, Rebecca and Keeley giving Nate this confidence that might not be warranted and might be too much too quickly for Nate. We're kind of seeing that is going to happen again in that everybody on Twitter is talking about Nate. They're all calling him the Wonder Kid. They're all giving him all this praise. And which he's going to drink his Kool-Aid deeply. Exactly. I'm not saying it's not rightfully deserved praise, but it's going to go to Nate's head. Well, because he has not been properly mentored. And I think that we discussed this last week, mm -hmm. is that he was brought up under Ted, and then Ted forgot to mentor him. And yeah, they brought him into this honesty, position, an, but didn't. It, it, it's they, an honest yeah. mistake on Ted. Ted is going through a divorce. He's having severe anxiety that up until the last moment of this episode, he's been largely ignoring. He's he's living in a new country. He's away from his son. I mean, he's got a lot going on so that when it comes time to mentor the person that he moved up to a coaching position he he neglected that part of his job and he's going to have to kind of deal with the the fallout of that mm -hmm. what's funny though is that beard probably sees this in the fact that he's a very observant person i think that we've all learned to kind of trust that if beard chooses to speak about something he it's it's going to have some weight 
why didn't Beard also step in? Well, and I think there's a big correlation with this, with something else in this episode too, that kind of maybe plays into that a little bit. And that is the, when you see something from the outside, sometimes you don't speak up about it. And because we see that this episode, when it comes to Beard and Jane, (laughs) Beard and Jane, (laughs) when it comes to Higgins, Higgins wants to say something because he thinks this is a toxic relationship with Beard and Jane, which which it it is. is. Yep. And... At least right now, it's toxic. Um, we won't say too much about the future, but right now, yeah, it, it definitely seems a little toxic. But everybody is telling, Hig- telling Higgins, like, no, don't say anything. And I, you know what? I'm kind of with him. I'm yep. kind of with everybody else. Like, you don't say anything. Right. As much as you want to, you need people to make their own mistakes because mm-hmm. they have to learn from it. And people kind of, if you say something, if you speak up, and it's taken the wrong way, you can be you can be resented for it. Yeah. Oh, uh, now I've had experience with this. Me too. When I was when I was 20, 21 years old, I said my piece to my best friend about her relationship, and I lost almost all my friends for about three years. And I Deserved it. That's well, and that well because there's two sides to it. Because, you, like I said, you can be resented for it, and that's because when you're in the situation, like Beard is, you don't see it that way. Mm-mm. So unless you're from the, you don't see it's it's the whole adage like you you see things better from the outside than you do from the inside. Beard doesn't see it as a toxic relationship because he's in the relationship. Everybody else sees it. But the beauty thing about Beard was that when Higgins actually did say something, he Beard actually appreciated it, like and gave yeah. Higgins a hug, and almost as if saying, "Like I know that was hard for you to tell me that." <laughs> and, <laughs> so I can't stop. But, sorry, but again, like it, it's kind of similar to the same situation in that people from the outside see what Ted is going through, mm. but it's not really their place to kind of. Tell Ted what he's going through. I think if there's anybody, it is Beard's place because they've been. Well, Beard is also his home connection. That's true, too. Yeah. So, So, you know, Beard, you know, Beard has a role to play in this. Ted had a large role to play in this. Nate. Oh, poor Nate. I don't I don't think Nate had any point any part to play in it i think nate is suffering because of it nate is Um, not suffering he's affected maybe i don't know i mean he's just so mean right now you know yeah i mean this whole season you and i have been saying that we see now the cracks right when you're on a rewatch you see the cracks because you know what's going to happen ultimately so you're on the lookout for it and it's all over the place yeah. when you watch it the first time I was blindsided you said you were blindsided because mm-hmm. we were caught up in everything else just like Ted is right when, and and isn't that always the truth you're all caught up in what's going on in your life at that moment that you're missing things that could have disastrous effects in the future and it's not until you take the step back and you go back and you relook at everything Correct. from a different perspective that you see everything that was there. Right. That you right. didn't see the first time. Right. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Which I think is, it's really interesting to rewatch this second season because going into the third season, I was, I had my, my brain set on these characters and now there's more shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Not so gray that I'm ever going to do some forgiving, but enough that I can see it. Okay. I can see it. I mean, there, there's characters that, and I'm not going to say too much, but there, I mean, there's characters that I kind of just wrote off as in like, oh, this is filler. This is just part of the story, you know, for the sake of moving the story forward that now I'm like, oh no, this character is horrible. 100%. Yeah. We, we both know who we're talking about. Yep. Um, 100%. So, so yeah, like we... I mean, and this is the, you're right, Nate or Ted has been kind of putting this to the side and he's been putting this off. Like he even jokingly says to Dr. Sharon, because Dr. Sharon says, and I think she even sees the cracks forming in Ted at this point. She sees Ted as going to have a breaking point at some point. And she's trying to gently say like, you know, Ted, you can always make an appointment. And at the beginning he, of this episode, he is in manic mode. Well, For anybody... When when Dr. Sharon says that to him, he kind of writes it off. He's yeah. like, oh, like, I, I can talk forever. Like, even after a half hour, you're going to be wondering when I, when I stop. Like, he's putting this off. It's not even that he's putting it off. It's that all of this energy has been building up for so long, right, that he's got this. It's almost like he's in manic mode, you know, when, like, people that are manic depressive, you know, they go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, and it's severe, you know, yeah. and we see at the beginning of this episode, Ted is up. He is up, 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 right? He's talking more than we've ever seen him talk, really, in the beginning. He's talking to everyone. He has got his hands in everyone's life. He's over the joking. He bypasses the psychologist. He, you know, like he's everywhere. And then by the end of this episode, he is crumpled in a ball on the couch after leaving at the most pivotal part of the game. In his job. And he's not like, only and but but what I'm saying is we've gone yeah. from highest high to lowest low in one episode. Well, because we see Ted is taking on so much and he's trying to distract himself so hard from everything else that's going on that when he gets that phone call mm-hmm. from Henry School about a panic moment that he has no control over and like and that I'll tell you right now, like, I don't have a lot of fears. I'm not afraid of heights, I'm not afraid of snakes or anything like that. Ooh. My biggest fear is being helpless. That mm. is my biggest fear. Yep. And that is a key moment for Ted in this moment. And that he gets that phone call from Henry's school. He is helpless. He cannot help at all. And it's something very small. His yeah. kid forgot his lunch. You know, he's missing out the day to day of his life. Of his and, son's life. And, that, and, I think, is the kicker. It's not that there's a panic moment. It's that I'm missing even the thing, even the small parts that you want, that you take for granted as a parent. My kid forgot their lunch to school today. Well, I think it's a combination of both. I think it's missing Henry, but it's also, I think it is a panic moment in that the school, you know, said like, you probably didn't say like, hey, this is the school. Henry forgot his lunch. They probably kind of blew it a little out of proportion and said, hey, we have a situation with Henry because we see we hear Ted say like, oh, my, is everything okay?" So they very clearly didn't say what it was at the top of the conversation. 
uh, you know, which probably gave Ted a little bit of panic and mm-hmm. knowing there's nothing he can do to help. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of lessened when he finds out he forgot his lunch and Michelle is there. Now it's the situation is being handled. So, you know, you put you, you take the elements that like he's missing his son in regards, you know, in addition to the fact that if anything ever does happen to Henry and this situation was worse, there's nothing he can do to help. Absolutely nothing. And he had to tell the school, I work in London, which yeah. means that they're going to cross that name off the list at mm-hmm. the school. And that is devastating. And then we see, like you said, like he is on a high, high to the point where he takes that phone call. It sits with him. And then it takes seeing Jamie celebrating, scoring a point to kind of click. And like you hear him say, like his, you hear Henry's voice say, Jamie Tart. It, I, as somebody who has had panic attacks, as I'm sure you have too, the smallest things can trigger that. Yeah. And then you're done. And, and then and that's we see it. his hands. We see his hands. He shoves them in his pocket. I do love the fact that it absolutely 100% looked like he was about to have explosive diarrhea. Yeah. Yeah. When he walked off that I, field. I agree. And that's what everybody, you know, kind of, that's the, the, the newscast or the, the commentators and everybody said. Which is totally fine, right? Everybody's like, been there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but this is the first real panic attack we've seen Ted have this season. Yes. Um. You know, and again, it's as somebody who's had them before, they can be triggered from the smallest thing. They can come out of nowhere and they can crush you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what scenario that you're in. And as you mentioned, too, like when he leaves at a key point, it almost costs Richmond the game. A fish cake. What's that? Remember, he said it was it. uh, The commentator said uh, uh, it's the destructive force of a fish cake can yeah. have on a team or something like yeah. that. But I mean, like we see that the team is clearly distracted by Ted leaving mm-hmm. and it costs them a point. Yes. And it takes Nate stepping up to give them the, you know, the park, the bus plate for them to actually come back and win the game, which so, is going to come back on us next episode or the following. I, yeah, I, th- I think so. That's going to come back. So, but I mean, it, you know, Kudos to Ted. I mean, not for walking off the field in what he did. I mean, clearly it's the only thing he could have done. I'm not saying he should have stayed on the field because it would have just made him worse. He needed to get away from all the, everything that was happening around him. He needed to find a quiet place. And I Mm -hmm. get that. Absolutely. Um, But kudos to Ted for the quiet place that he finds is Dr. Sharon's couch. This is a huge moment for Ted and that he is giving in moment. He is giving in and he is turning to Dr. Sharon. I think that he also needed to trust her in order to be on that couch. And while she doesn't give up a lot of herself to make Ted comfortable, she has stayed consistent long enough for Ted to trust the consistency of the mysteriousness of Dr. Sharon. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And this is very similar to we mentioned the relationship between Jamie and Roy. This is a, you know, and we saw kind of the the start to what becomes a great relationship between those two characters. This is the beginning of the Ted and Dr. Sharon relationship. Which is great. Yes, we're going to yeah. see a lot more of this. And this is the start of it. We've yeah. seen hints to it. 
but like they've only been teases. Yeah. This is the this is the absolute beginning now. Which is great because, you know, before I watched this episode, you know, I, I always like to kind of think about what we've seen so far and what I think I remember and so before I sit down and watch it. It's nothing, it's just something that I do. But I did think to myself how underutilized Dr. Sharon has been this entire season. Um, on screen utilized. So I'm excited to see more of Dr. Sharon coming up in the rest of this season. And I'm wondering if the writers felt like they might have underutilized her in season two, which is why they use Trent Krim as much as they do in season three. But I could be just overthinking that. Mm, I don't know. I feel like you could be right. Because I feel like they used Trent Krim beautifully in season three, and I feel like they could have used Dr. Sharon a lot more in season two. Well, because, yeah, and you're right. We haven't seen a lot of Trent at all this season. Um, no, and I miss him. We're go- I mean, we're definitely still going to see him this season. But Yeah, but I we, miss him. Up till this point, we haven't seen much of him. Actually, mm-hmm. actually, I think next episode we're going to start seeing Trentagram. Trent, That's again. what it... Trentagram? Trentagram. You messed it up. You're, <laughs> You're stupid. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think another thing that I really that really hit me when it came to Ted and this panic attack, and other than the fact of him turning Dr. Sharon, turning to Dr. Sharon, is seeing Rebecca's concern for Ted. Rebecca is so interesting in this episode. I don't know if you've realized it, but they dressed her in very soft colors this episode. She was in a lot of whites and neutrals, pinks, pale blues. They softened her much more than they have in the past. And I think it's because they needed her to be a daughter and not a boss lady in this episode. And it worked. I can see that. She showed a vulnerability with her mom in the episode that we haven't really seen before with her. Well, not only that, but one of the things I love about the uh, Rebecca and her mom in this episode is that we see like when the, for example, the scene where they all go to lunch together, where it's Rebecca Mm. and her mom and and Ted and Keely come along. Rebecca's mom is going off on this. Deborah is going off on this whole thing about what she's been discovering about life. And Ted and Keely are just so engrossed by everything that she's saying. And Rebecca is looking at her mom very similar to how we all look at our parents when we're younger as in like, God, you are so annoying. Yeah. Like, and like we've, you're right. We see Rebecca as a daughter mm-hmm. in this episode in like, I said, even just in that scene where she's like looking at her mom, like what the hell are you talking about? Right. Everybody else is so engrossed in this conversation, but Rebecca, why, what, why are you speaking? Like, what are you talking but about? Then Deborah goes to the bathroom and Rebecca reveals to Ted and Keely why she's not engrossed in this story. And we learn that Deborah's been doing this since um, Rebecca's been in college. Yeah. You know? But we get another taste as well, too, as to the whole you don't say anything because Rebecca shares her story about the same thing. Right. You know, the first time her mom left her father, she was praising her mom for it. And then they were back together and they didn't speak for a while. You know, that so that shows seems that to be her a reoccurring mother, too. Her mother is an emotional, ma- emotional gangster. I can't really think of a different 
term for it, but I think that Rebecca has had to keep her mom at arm's length as a self-protection tactic. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, th- this episode, I'm not going to say too much. Um, maybe I'll bring it up in spoilers. I don't know. This episode, in my opinion, is setting up another episode. Okay. There's another episode that's coming this season that this is, I think this is setting up. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can see that. I just, I don't know. I, um, I really, really like Rebecca in this episode because we see, we see all of her softer sides. We see her as a daughter. We see her as this vulnerable woman who is having this expanding relationship with somebody that she's never met before um, on banter. Mm-hmm. And then we also see her looking in on or counseling Leslie or Higgins and then watches Higgins go with confronting Beard anyways and having that all work out. We see Rebecca soften enough to, it looks like she wants to come home and have a really nice, honest talk with her mom, but her mom pulls the same crap that she's been pulling forever. Well, I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head, too, when you mentioned Higgins. Mm. She sees that Higgins goes against everybody's advice and talks to Beard anyway. And when she sees that Beard hugs him, she smiles as the mm-hmm. door's closing on the car. I think that's the moment where she decides, okay, I know I probably shouldn't do it, but I'm going to go talk to my mom. Yeah, and then you her know? mom proves Rebecca right. Yeah. You know that she Ooh, went. Dad back. got me a Tesla. Oh my gosh! I would just, I, I would, I'd rip it up. I'd rip it up and I'd throw the shepherd's pie away. No, it's a shepherd's pie. I don't care. I'd be so mad. It's a cheesy top shepherd's pie. Whatever. I mean, that's like. Listen, I love shepherd's pie. I me love too. it. I love it so much that I want to make it right now. I. I just, this is, I'm, I'm, this is literally going to take me like 10 seconds to mention. I just found out a store by me makes a pierogi quesadilla. Ooh. Uh, I will be trying that tonight, but I I digress. You Pennsylvanians and your pierogies, I swear. They're so good. Uh Um, But, but again, like, yeah, you mentioned like seeing Rebecca's concern for Ted as well. Like when she sees Ted walk off the field or off the pitch, Nothing else matters to her in that moment. She doesn't that, even care that her team won. No. She's, she does, she's she just doesn't. Con- yeah. She is concerned with nothing more than Ted's well-being. Yep. And seeing and his jacket that. on the floor. Which bothered me because that is a nitpick of this episode. She sees Ted's jacket on the floor, but when Ted is revealed on the couch, he's wearing his jacket. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. That's a little nitpick for me. Like I can easily let it go. But when he when he sits up in Dr. Sharon's office, he's he's wearing his jacket. Yeah. Okay. Weird. I didn't even notice that. I was crying by that time though. So Dude, I'm telling you, I mentioned this earlier on, I think more so in season one when we talked about the let it go moment, um, which was another panic attack moment for Ted. I, I said this before and this resounds today, and it will continue until the rest of the series. When Ted cries, I cry. It's just oh, when any happens. male cries, I cry. I have well, this problem when I see a male cry, I start crying like every time. It's become a joke. There is, there is a moment coming up when you you talk about when a male cries. 
there is a moment coming up, I think in like maybe only two episodes that gets me every freaking time. And all I say is that it's a hug moment. And I'm like, I'll mention it in spoilers. I'll mention it in spoilers. Um, All right. Um, So I do, I did pick up on a theme for this episode. And I think that if we were to like attach a theme to this episode, I think that confrontation would be a really good one Mm -hmm. because it feels like every character is confronting something about themselves. Um, You know, Rebecca is confronting the fact that her mom has this horrible psychological cycle that she puts everybody through all the time. You have Nate confronting his own confidence. You have uh, Beard confronting his relationship with Jane. You have, um, you have Jamie and Roy that are confronting each other with the bad blood between them. You have Ted confronting the fact that he finally needs help and needs to ask for help. Um, so to me, there's a lot of confrontation uh, confrontational elements to each character where it just all kind of comes to a head. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to kind of see the fallout from this game throughout the rest of the season, which I think is great. I No, and I, I, I agree with you. I think confrontation is a great theme because I was going to say the only other theme I could think of if it wasn't confrontation would be poor little cake, soggy bottom. That was awesome as a bake-off fan <laughs> i really enjoyed that part <laughs> jeremy baz and paul just like chanting poor little cake soggy bottom while watching bake-off it was just um, i love that moment what's her name in the background was like shaking May. her booty yeah, to she the was shaking her booty <laughs> the soggy bottom part She's like, can you t- can you ask them to stop yelling at the f- at the football? Oh, they're not watching football. They're watching this week's Bake Off. <laughs> so true. It's so, so true. Great. I do the same thing. I don't know if I chant, but I will now. Anytime <laughs> that Paul, bottom. anytime Paul Hollywood says I, there's a little bit of a soggy bottom, I will start chanting that. <laughs> <laughs> I did but, like the Bake Off, but I do I do agree too that like it's it confrontation is a huge theme. Mm-hmm. In, in this episode um i, I mean and, and we've covered a lot of what i have in my notes the only other thing i really have in my notes that we haven't even touched yet that we absolutely have to is we don't have to save rebecca's mystery man for spoilers anymore thank god it's sam it's, it's sam it's revealed sam obasanya is well, his ldn152 to well his friends are rapping to kendrick lamar he yeah. <laughs> while colin is rapping to kendrick lamar and smashing it yep <laughs> absolutely oh but yeah, it's so cute crazy day have, at work yeah a little bit uh sam a little bit but it, like it was funny too because like we see rebecca is checking their messages at the end of the game and like we know because we've already seen the series that there's a clear reason why he hasn't responded yet. Cause he's been on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said last episode, they kind of hinted that it could have been Ted. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we get the big reveal at the end of this episode that Sam Obasanya is the mystery man. And this is going to be a fun journey to see where this goes next in the future. I totally agree. Yeah. So totally agree. There's a, it's a fun little bit that's coming up. Yeah. 
Agreed. I think I've Funny covered. Enough, do you know what the Beard's book was called that he was reading? All I got was Against the Enemy, but there was another word, and I don't know what it was. I always like knowing what Beard's reading. Yeah, because he always reads like the the most interesting stuff. Yes. Inverting the Pyramid, I think, is another one he reads at one point. Something Against the Enemy. Is it at what point is he reading the book? Is it? Oh, when uh, when Jamie doesn't know how to talk to him. Um, let's see, because I can kind of scroll through a little bit as we're talking to see if I can find it. Um, I think that's a little too far. Oh uh, yeah, because we see Jamie come into the office, he's like wearing like, I guess boxers. <laughs> I like it that or he comes briefs. in, and if Keely's there, he will stop, and he will say, hi, Keely, and then he'll go on. Like, he has some kind of deference to Keely that's just never going to go away. So the book he's reading is Football Against the Enemy. Thank you. By Simon Cooper. K-U-P-E-R. He, is, he reads a lot of sports books and a lot of coaching books. He's a reader. Yeah. He's a chess player. Beard is incredibly intelligent. And he and I love the more we see it, the more I love the fact that he remains a mystery. I'm actually like the more I think about it, the more I'm glad that his backstory doesn't get revealed until literally the penultimate episode. Yeah, I do too. You know what? And it was perfect the way that it was. And golly, I need more of this show. I'm, I'm, I'm not, again, we're not saying what his backstory is for anybody who hasn't watched. We're just saying you got to wait a while. Enjoy the mystery of Coach Beard because it, you're going to get it for hours. <laughs> oh my God, that episode. Can't wait. That I think that's three episodes away. Can't wait. That's God, that's such a great episode. Anything else before we dive into spoiler territory? No. Okay. All right. So then with that being said, if this is your first view and you want to avoid spoilers, uh, we're going to take a short couple minutes to talk about them. Just check the show notes to find out when we come back and we talk about favorite quotes and feedback and all that fun stuff. All right. So what do we want to start with um, in the spoilers? Uh, we can talk about the Nate. Rebecca and Sam stuff. All right. Let's, let's talk about Nate. So... As I mentioned earlier on, when I see Ted push Nate to the side, um, I, like we see later on that like when Nate gives him that whole spiel about like, you forgot about me, I can kind of see where he's coming from yeah. more and more as we watch this. I can see more and more where Nate is coming from. But there was a way to deal with it. Oh, I'm not saying Nate is correct. No, the way that said. Nate, the way that Nate dealt with it was so awful that it i think it took it put the team back it set them back well and i also think it's kind of a hard pill for nate to swallow in that nate gives ted that whole spiel still goes out to the pitch but kind of takes if you remember nate doesn't stand up front with the coaches after that moment he sits he's in the back sitting hmm i think Maybe he gets a red card or something, and that's why he has to sit. I can't remember. But 
when they win the game, he's in the back sitting. He doesn't go out and celebrate with the rest. So of he has already left the team. In his head, yeah, he's already right. He's, exactly, he's already. He's already and we all have those moments. I mean, I just switched jobs um, from one district into another, and there was a moment that I knew I'm not going to work here one more second. But I think also at the same time, Nate kind of sees that they won without him. Like he took a backseat and wasn't really playing a part in this win, but they still won. Yeah. That's a hard pill for Nate to swallow. Well, because it's only going to make it worse. Right, 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 right. And we see that he becomes a worse and worse version of himself for most of season three. A good portion of season three. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's intolerable. He, it's not until I think in season three, it's not until he sees that to Rupert, he's nothing more than just an employee. Cause he feels right. like he he's being mentored. He feels like he's, whereas with Ted, he wants to be mentored by Ted and he feels he's not Rupert. He feels like he's being mentored. And in fact, he's not. It's kind of like when you have that last relationship before you meet the person that you're going to be with for the rest of your life. You like realize such, what you're missing. Yeah, You realize exactly what you don't want in your life. And, and you then realize you what you were missing you from before. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, that, and that's just that's it. exactly what Nate goes through. Yeah, it is. It's a to- it's a relationship. He has good things with Ted, but doesn't realize it until he has a worse version of it later with Rupert. Yeah, I feel like him and Rebecca could go out for lunch and like have a really good conversation about Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I could see that as well. Um. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, Sam and and Rebecca and <laughs> God, like there's so I'm so happy we don't have to talk about like hiding who the talk the around identity. it. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. Har- yeah, me too. But now, like, we have to like the, the what only a great stuff that reveal. We- yeah, because up it- until now, we all think it's Ted. Because well, that's what they're leading us to believe. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's how interesting would it have been if it was Coach Beard? Oh, that would have been terrible. They never would have even connected on Panther. Are you kidding me? No, they but I'm just thinking wildly I, different. I'm just thinking the literary references. Oh. Or maybe could have hinted more towards Beard. And maybe that was something they were actually doing and we just never picked up on it. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, if if we did, I really Really didn't pick up on it. No. Well, no, because I think we automatically equated Beard with with Jane. <laughs> okay. I I mentioned this earlier too about how like that is a toxic relationship right now. But the more we see Jane and Beard together, a- after Beard after hours in particular, we start to realize how alike these two characters really are. Beard. And Jane work together because they are both so wildly dysfunctional that somehow <laughs> yes. when they're together, they even each other out. Yeah. It they seems, lean hard into the crazy. It seems very toxic at this point. And I, I've heard many people say that Jane and Beard is toxic. Oh, but 100%. But, the, but it's weird. But they're because toxic you, on their own. 
they're exactly they're toxic individually, but together they they work. They oddly work. Yeah. I mean, you can see individually how each is not right for the other and how Jane's crazy, but we also know Beard's crazy. And Jane's- we really learn that Beard is real crazy in Beard After Hours. Yeah. Jane's crazy is Beard's kind of crazy. <laughs> and Beard's crazy is Jane's kind of crazy. Right. Like, I love I love the end of this episode after Higgins says his piece about it and Jane jumps out and scares scares beard yeah which is a which is appropriate because rebecca says earlier like oh i've seen her kind of just like hiding in the shadows in the parking lot like we see her jump out and you know she says the beard you know like oh you know he was like he's he's eye candy but the more you get to know him you find out like he's just stupid and beard visibly relaxes yeah, he, he takes a breath, <laughs> and then she switches his hat. She takes off his baseball cap and puts the hat on him, and he's like two Oliver Twist, <laughs> like it's a two Oliver Twist. And you know, she's like, "Oh, she's like, you know what? It, it kind of works because that's my kink." Yeah, and he's <laughs> like, "Oh, please, Jane, may I have some more?" <laughs> Their crazy plays in together, and it works. You know what? I have a very good friend who is very crazy. She met her equal crazy. They were like, you know, Beyonce, Jay-Z crazy in love for a while. And now they're like this fully normal, functioning, successful couple. Yeah. Married couple. They've been together for 20 years, you know? Yeah. It's funny how how we can meet these people in our lives that bring out the best and worst of us. Yeah. I, I no, know. I, I get it. Um, there was something that you said to ask you to kind of dive into a little bit more. And I can't remember. Was it Nate? More Nate stuff? I don't know. Okay. That's uh, sad. The only other thing I have for spoilers, and um, I don't even know how much we can go into it, too, is that I love... <clears throat> One of the most popular things about this, or one of the running things that happens throughout this entire course of this show, is putting the term effect on something. We've seen it called the Ted Lasso effect. This episode, it's called the Roy Kent effect. Um, and we find out by the end of this series that it really was never any of those things. It's the Richmond effect. It's the, it's Richmond, the Richmond way. way. The Richmond way. Yeah. So, like, I love that, like, we're finding different elements to the point that by the end of the series, when all of these elements come together, it's no longer an effect. It's a way. It is the way of life for this team. It's the rich right. way. But Ted is, you know, the one that started it. So Ted's the one that starts it, but there's more elements that come along. Like, now because we're getting Ted made the them Roy better. Kent. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah. I just, Ted, Ted to me is if, Ted never joined Richmond. They would never have the Richmond way. No. Roy Kent would have never come back as a coach. He would have retired. Jamie Tart would have been an asshole and yep. probably he would have done the ecstasy for a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Episode, whatever that was. Um, <laughs> you know, like Keely would probably never have been doing PR. Higgins would probably still be Rebecca's lackey. Rebecca yeah. would be a miserable old crone. I mean, Rebecca none of would have sold. Have I think Rebecca would have sold the team. 100%. By this point. Yep. 
back to I Rupert. think last season would have been, yeah, last season would have been the last season of, of her ownership. Without that darts game, Rebecca would have given the team back to Rupert for sure. Just because yeah. she was so still so attached to him with all the years of abuse that she had to sustain from him. Yeah. I see it. So, yeah. Um, I did have one other thing. What was it? I think that uh, Roy is listening to Diamond Dogs. I think he's interested, but he doesn't want to. So, oh, the barking means it's over. You listened to the whole thing, asshole. I know you did. Those offices are not soundproof. He is listening to the conversation. And we know that he's listening because Higgins hears Beard's entire conversation with Jane. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Roy is, he's kind of an outside diamond dog at this point. Yeah. He, I think, I think there's a, I think at this point, there's a part of Roy that wants to be included, but he doesn't want people to know he wants he to be. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's softening because of Phoebe and Keely and Ted. But to the point where when Roy finally does become a diamond dog, yeah. it's such a great moment. Yeah. I love it. I can't wait till he becomes a diamond dog. Yeah. Um, and I do love that um, that we're on our way to the windmill episode because. <laughs> no, that's not till next season. No, I know. We're on our way. Like oh, with okay. Roy and Jamie making their first breakthrough. We are now on our way to the windmill episode. Well, I mean, and it's so funny because you brought this up earlier, too. And I think we're going to we're going to see that in this season. Oh, no, we don't see it till next season. We don't see it towards the end of season three. You mentioned how Jamie was always a fan of Roy, even growing up at his old house at his boyhood home. He's still (laughs) the poster of Roy is still hanging in his boyhood bedroom. And so is someone else's poster. Yeah. Was it Keely. Keely and Roy and Jamie all sitting on Jamie's bed during one of those yeah. moments? <laughs> well, no, because I so I think it's I can't remember which poster is revealed first, but we see the moment where they're in the three of them are in Jamie's bedroom, and one of the posters is very clearly on the wall. And I can't remember, I think it's Keely's. Um Roy's is on the wall. Is it Roy? Well, they're both on the wall, but yeah. one of them is hidden behind the door. Because once Jamie leaves the bedroom and they move the door, they see the other poster. And I can't remember whose poster was hidden behind the well, door. I can't remember either. I think I think we see Roy Kent immediately, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, I think you're right. Because I think Roy Keeley's was a little more risque. Yeah. So it had to be behind the door. I think I think <laughs> Keeley's was the one behind the door. So yeah, but that's that's a great that's a weird episode, but it's a great moment. I love it. Lee, do I love Jamie Tart from here on out? <laughs> you God, yeah. I I've 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 already become a fan of Jamie again, but going forward now with Roy and Jamie together, God, it's so. Yep, it's such a great moment, especially is- especially when they start competing over Keeley again. <laughs> I like it when they arrive drunk at her door. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Oh, I need season three to be here already. All right. I think I'm done. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else in, uh, that for this. Um, so with that being said, then, uh, we're, we're back. We're going to talk about some of our favorite quotes, uh, from the episode. And the other thing I want to make mention of real quick that I didn't during the main part is another moment. I love with, um, with Paul and, um, 
Uh, see, now I forgot the Baz and Jeremy. That's it. Paul Bass and Jeremy is the fact that one of them comes in wearing a jersey that you can very clearly tell banter has been put on with Sharpie. <laughs> and, and that's the jersey the dude was just selling in the parking lot. It's very clearly a fake jersey. Whatever. He got you know, it, you know? Yep. Good for him. Um, I do want to say we didn't mention it in uh, our main discussion, but it kind of goes with uh, quotes. When uh, Jamie says Philistines. <laughs> that, I have been in my quotes, yeah. Beard tells him to look it up. So I did look it up. And uh, Philistines, a person who is hostile or indifferent to the culture and the arts or who has no understanding of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very clearly Jamie, but also at the same time, it's very not Jamie because Jamie... Jamie has proven in moments that he is smart. Yeah. He just chooses to be the dumbass. Yeah. Like a lot. Well, and I, and I love this too. Like when we mentioned how Jamie kind of got his confidence back after being, being given the signal, it's very quick. So it's very easy to miss. But when Jamie lines up to take that kick, one of the first things you see him do before you get the shot of the feet is he slicks his hair back. He's like, okay. Like, (laughs) <laughs> well we've talked about that before too no no no. i'm talking about roy making him say it i'm an ugly boy that has bad hair <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't want to say it <laughs> he's like, like well that's not true <laughs> but getting into some of our favorite quotes um <laughs> i'm trying to build bridges here you couldn't build fucking jeff bridges <laughs> Don't know what it means, but it's a great insult. Come back. Uh, uh, I have. Oh, I have from. Um, I think it's Jeremy. Jeremy. I think it's Jeremy. I don't know. I will channel my rage and enthusiasm into ways to help my community. <laughs> May gives him the looks about wanting to burn the bar down. Right. Right. Uh, right. I mean, we got what I mean, what we got David's versus Goliath's, right? You know, Rockies versus Apollo's Steve Weebs against Billy Mitchell's. What's another one? Coach Pearl Jam versus Ticketmaster. Mm, classic battle of art versus commerce right there, <laughs> which is still happening. Fuck uh, Ticketmaster. You love Ticketmaster? No, I said fuck Ticketmaster. Okay, good. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, what else do you have? Oh, do you not have any more? I have so many, but I can't remember them because I didn't write them down because I'm an idiot. Oh. <laughs> so I'm looking through the transcript right now. Um, Roy, you're not going to like this, but right now, Jamie here is being the mature one. It's oh. true. I'm being super mature, you big, dumb, hairy, <laughs> you big, dumb, hairy baby twat. <laughs> that entire scene is quote worthy. I mean, oh, it's that's just... the clip. That's the clip at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, it's just. The best. You fucked him up, okay? Expound. <laughs> <laughs> you've made him a team player. You've got him to pass and shit. And in doing so, you've made him average. Because, Jamie, uh, deep down at your core, you're a prick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Roy, you know you're paid to coach the whole team, right? No, no, that's fine. Just take 4% off my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> uh Anything that Higgins says in this episode is great. Oh, I do love it when uh when they're try then when 
Higgins is like, I'm going to go through this window. And the whole time Nate's like, you just go around. You would have been here by now. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. What are you guys doing? <laughs> uh, you're doing great work, Colin. And I love your new mantra. I'm a strong and capable man. I am not a piece of shit. Yeah. You don't need that second part. <laughs> don't need that second part. Exactly. Uh, I have two more. Um, um, do you have one? Oh. Go ahead. Yeah, it's uh it's the one when Keely comes in and she goes, "Oh, are you talking about um are you talking about Keely or uh Beard and Jane?" and she goes, "She's quite je- the jealous type, right? She wants to follow me all the way home just to ask if Beard was shagging Ted." <laughs> uh I'll tell you what, I'm shipping the heck out of you two. I'm calling I'm calling HR. Yeah, well, you tell Mr. P- Mr. Puff of stuff I said hello. Right, That's right, a joke right. for people born in the early to mid 70s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see what else do we have? This is what a fish pie can do to a team. Yeah. I um, do love that. The only and then the last one I have is boy, I love meeting people's moms. It's like reading an instruction manual as to why they're nuts. That's <laughs> the best line of the series. How's Mrs. Beard doing, by the way? Full blown QAnon. QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect one to end on. Yep. Uh, all right. So then, with that being said, let's dive into some of the feedback we got for the episode. Uh, we got a couple Facebook posts, we got an email, and uh, we have a voicemail. Uh, nothing from Steve this week. <gasps> no. I know. I'm kind of shocked. Makes me That's all right. Um, so, why don't you? I kind of arranged them so that you don't. So that you get to read some of the uh, the ones oh, that are so that are best for you. There's okay. three. Uh, so why don't you start starting? us off? Okay. Yeah. Lindsay Schlick. Hi, Lindsay. Uh, I had forgotten about Rebecca's mom, and here I was thinking the only two distasteful characters were Nate and Rupert. While Deborah may maybe isn't as bad, she's certainly someone I could do without, I agree. Oh, well, I guess we have to have a few shitheads. Not everyone can be amazing and lovable. As much as I cannot stand Nate or what he does, you could see tiny snippets of why he ends up like he does. Bitter jealousy and completely unfounded, but at least at a human level, you can kind of understand, especially with someone as small and insecure as Nate. Always sad to see a depressed Ted, but I'm glad he's about to start getting the help that he needs. I wish I could remember if the Sam and as Rebecca's banter boyfriend was a shock on first viewing. Yes, it was. I'll just answer it was that for me. right now, Lindsay. It was a total and complete shock. Um, and you know what? Uh, Lindsay's, e- Lindsay's feedback uh, reminded me that there was something I forgot to bring up in spoilers, which I can't now because we're already past it. Um, I hadn't mentioned how the relationship between Rebecca's mom and Rebecca this episode is setting up a future oh, yeah. episode. That's right. Um, but you know what I'm talking I'm sure you know which episode I'm talking about. Yep. So I'll just say never going to give you up and that all kind of... Never going to let you down. Um, Next one comes from Alex Kruger. Uh, Alex says, every time this episode starts and I hear Arctic Monkeys, I smile so wide. I love Arctic Monkeys, so I'm glad. Yeah, that's a good band. Uh, Big props to Harriet Waller for playing two very complex and very indelicate mothers uh, between Ted Lasso and Succession. These characters are yin and yang to one another as she portrays both so well. 
At the beginning of Rainbows, Nate's temples had the slightest touch of gray. By this episode, I noticed the gray was really starting to spread. I look forward to tracking this as the series goes on. Uh, Being a divorced parent that's entirely invested in your child is hard enough, especially for a guy like Ted. Being completely unable to help in those moments is every dad in his situation's worst nightmare. How does one build Jeff Bridges? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There are some episode titles that evoke one single image, like Through the Looking Glass and the words Not Penny's Boat. Uh, 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 (laughs) 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 When when I saw... That that hits us both very hard, Alex. Like both of us. <laughs> uh, when I saw this week's title, all I could think of was the coaches flipping the bird. Uh, this show captures panic attacks so utterly well. It doesn't oversell it or overplay it, but really conveys the inevitability to control your internal battle. And lastly, I find it so interesting that Roy gave Nate a very heartfelt congratulations after privately giving him credit to Rebecca. But Nate is so much more interested in the Twitter versus love. That's a good capture. I didn't even think about that. And for what it's worth, I'm totally team Uh rom-com, especially if it's heavy on the com. Uh, Maybe one day my comments won't be so long. Today is not that day. My apologies. No need to apologize. I loved it. Yeah, you great. did a good job. Oh, not Penny's boat. Ouch. <laughs> Do you know there's so I'm I've been following it, but there is a lost documentary coming soon. Yes, I did know um, that. Uh somebody, I think it might have actually been Alex. I can't remember. Somebody sent me the link to it. Uh oh no, I think it was Des. Sorry. Um and I started liking the page and I've been following along with that documentary and it seems like it's coming along. And a lot of the people that are involved are like Terry O'Quinn and Michael Emerson. And like, there's a lot of people that are involved in this. Doc. Sounds like we're going to have to go back into uh, the lost universe. We might, maybe by the time we finish season three of Ted Lasso, that doc will be out and we can talk about it. Yeah. So, Okay. Last uh, last piece of written feedback that we have is from Dave. Greetings all. He loves to say that. Hi. <laughs> First off, apologies for not sending in feedback for last week's episode, Rainbow. I forgot to do my feedback in time. Regarding the rom-com aspects of that episode, there are so many reasons that I should not have liked that episode because I, had, I also am not overly fond of rom-coms, but somehow Ted Lasso pulled it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even my own husband was against me. <laughs> I am not sure if this is because Ted announced what the theme would be in the team meeting with his rom-communism or maybe it's just the magic of Ted Lasso, but they really pulled off all of the many, many references throughout this episode, especially Roy's journey to the stadium. I think Ted Lasso may be the only show that could have pulled off that type of episode. Wow, he said episode a lot and made it so endearing and wonderful to watch. That said, I really enjoyed the signal. The HR Puffin stuff. Puffin stuff. Thank you. Reference. Roy still resisting the diamond dogs, the dichotomy of Nate and Roy's coaching styles. The way Jamie tries to win over Roy is fantastic. I'm an ugly, ugly boy. Ted <laughs> finally talking with Dr. Sharon. Can't wait to hear your insight and all the drops. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. And Dave's even on my side for rom-coms. Oh yeah. Listen, I get it. I know I'm in the minority. I, I, doesn't change my opinion one bit. You don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't bother you at all. 
It really doesn't, which is interesting. Yeah, it's all right. You stand by your convictions. I do. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for... Oh, we have a voicemail. Almost forgot. Yes. Uh, we have a voicemail from our friend Jason. So let's play that now. Hi, Ben and Kristen. This is Jason in San Jose providing feedback for Lavender. I mean, the signal. Since I'm going to be out of town for most of the week, I'm going to make this one a short one. There was a short clip that I wanted to play in my feedback for Carol of the Bells, but I wasn't sure what your thoughts on last Christmas were. So anyway, after hearing that episode, your thoughts are the same as mine. And I wanted to play this little 15 second clip here. Hold on. You know what? Hold on. Stop. Stop. Bobby, stop. 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 Uh, We were going to do a, Swing and Lounge version of Last Christmas by Wham. But that song sucks. (laughs) Next (laughs) tune. Anyway, on to the signal. So many great things in this episode. The Diamond Dogs getting to talk about Beard and Jane's toxic relationship. The back and forth between Roy and Jamie and letting out the prick. I really love that. And the signal. That was especially fond for me. My wife and I have this fun little game of trying to surprise each other with that same signal in a loving way, Uh, whether it is in person or via text or something. uh, It's a fun little game that we play. So when we saw that come up in the episode, we were rolling. On a serious note, seeing Ted's panic attacks in this episode is what really ties me to this. I go through a lot of panic attacks and have had some in recent memory. And so this was a particularly heavy episode for me to watch, just seeing him finally ready to ask for help. Uh, So, so powerful. And I'm really looking forward to his relationship with Dr. Sharon. And finally, we get the reveal of Sam Obasanya and Rebecca I'm really looking forward to the dynamics here and where it goes. So I really love this episode and looking forward to the next one. Until then, this has been Jason in San Jose. Namaste, baby. <laughs> love it. <laughs> the originator of it. Hey, baby. <laughs> I know I totally took it. I'm sorry, yeah. Jason. <laughs> Uh, but thank you to everybody for leaving us the great feedback this week. As always, we encourage you guys to do so. Uh, easiest ways to do it, go to revisitedpod.com. There you'll find links on where to subscribe and listen and all that fun stuff. Uh, or you can email us directly either in an email or a voicemail to feedback at revisitedpod.com. Uh, and you know what? Because we threw out the whole rom-com debate and people answered it, I'm going to throw out another one. Uh let us know a music festival that you enjoyed going to since we kind of spent some time with that earlier. Just yeah. like throw a name out there, you know, hot music festival talk. Yeah, There you go. I'll tell you right now. I, my bucket list festival that I really want to go to is Bonnaroo. I've never been to Bonnaroo. I want to go to Bonnaroo. I'm like six hours away from Bonnaroo. I need to go to Bonnaroo, but I hear Bonnaroo has gone the Coachella way lately, which is why I have not gone. Jazz fest has been my favorite favorite uh festival that i've gone to in the ever yeah ever and original coachella those are my those are my ones but coachella is a shell of what it used to be now there's one coming up that i i got invited i asked a friend of mine asked me if i wanted to go and i i would love to go but it's it's four days 
And like, I don't think I could ever, I, I can't afford it because you have to pay, like you, you got to put yourself up for the ho- for everything. And it's in uh, Daytona, Florida. Um, but the lineup is freaking, it's one of the craziest lineups for a rock festival I've ever seen. Uh, like, I'll just give you the rundown of a couple bands right now. Thursday is Motley Crue, Judas Priest, Disturbed, Skillet, Mudvayne, Machine Head. Like, it's apocalyptica. It's very clearly a rock festival. Friday, Limp Biscuit, In This Moment, Offspring, Mr. Bungle, In Flames, Saturday, Foo Fighters, Greta Van Fleet, Primus, Queens of the Stone Age, um, Cypress Hill. <laughs> Uh, Sunday, Breaking Benjamin, Evanescence, Theory of a Dead Man, Bad Omen, My Some 41. It's goodness. crazy. There are one, two, three, four, five. But it's four, not even five. a specific genre. They're just throwing out everything and seeing what sticks to the wall. Well, it's all rock. It's all rock. It's called Rockville. Um, there are five Cypress stages. Cypress Hill is not rock. Eh, they mm. kind of... They're the only one that's not really rock. But no lie, there are five stages in four days, and there are no less than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bands playing each stage. That's great. It is a lot of bands. And I would love to go, but it's like, I think even for a four-day pass for this festival is like 300 bucks. And that doesn't include, like, again, feeding yourself, travel, hotel, like you're looking at like a $2,000 trip. Wow. Which I can't swing right now. Otherwise I would. Right. And it's in, and it's in Florida, which also makes me very hesitant. Yeah. I, I won't, I, I can't, I can't, I just can't. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Recommendations before we, we get out. Anything on your end? Anything on my end. I guess not. No, I mean, right now we're like in full swing of everything. I did see. No, I don't really want to recommend that. No. Yeah, I I got nothing right now. Uh, I will tell you, this is not really a recommendation, but I'll tell you this because I know it makes you happy. Uh, I am now that I finished my CSI rewatch before I jump into CSI New York, I am finally knocking out the last two seasons of Justified. Finally. Um, I finished season five. I'm in season six now and I'll have it finished this weekend. Good. Um, I heard one of the best lines I have heard in the course of watching this series so much so that I posted it to Facebook and people knew exactly what I was talking about. Which one was it? It was, I am so hungry. I could eat the ass out of a low flying duck. (laughs) And of course it was a Boyd Crowder. Uh, Boyd Crowder is the best. Is the best. He has the very last line of the show. Boyd Crowder. My, my love for Boyd Crowder, especially in, in seasons five and season six, uh, has made me realize that Wilhelm will have an episode coming up of the top five favorite TV villains. Boyd Crowder is one of because them. Because Boyd Crowder is on that list. Yes. Easily. He's one of my all-time favorite TV characters. I mean, he's just he's Boyd Crowder. Yeah. Walton Goggins plays this character so brilliantly that the fact that he never received an Emmy for it makes me angry. Brilliantly and in, well and he is such an intelligent character. Oddly for because of like the way it's portrayed, but he's the way he just speaks 
is just so fucking riveting. And yeah. I love it. I love yeah, Boyd he, so much. He's like a cult leader. Yeah. Well, and he kind of is for a while. Uh, the only other recommend, the only recommendation I will mention though, is that the same day this episode releases is also the same day that, uh, Wilhelm's, uh, top five favorites of 2023 episode also releases in which Kristen is also a part of that one. Yes. Uh, so go over to wilhelmpodcast.com and give a listen to that episode. You're going to hear me, Kristen and my friend Brandy. Uh, we're going to reveal our top five favorite TV shows and top five favorite movies from 2023. So go over and give that a listen and then subscribe Yay. to Wilhelm while you're there. So and any other final so notes? Uh, if, yeah, I do. I have one. We haven't done this in a while and I'd like, an, an, a, you know, if you've been listening to us and you really like us, tell your friends about us. Word tell of mouth friends, is the best promotion. Yeah. Tell your friends that there's this Ted Lasso rewatch podcast and that it's fun because I feel like we've been having a lot of fun with this. We've been staying on track with our timeline. <laughs> so far. a nice format. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, yes, like us, review us, whatever, but. Just tell somebody if they're looking for a good podcast and you enjoy us, have them give us a try. I I had a friend of mine actually going back to the Brett Goldstein thing real quick that I haven't seen since I've seen him randomly since high school. But I actually had a friend who was at the Brett Goldstein show and we were both up in the mezzanine. We were messaging each other like, oh, like I'm here, too. And then we finally I was like, where are you sitting? I'll come and find you after the show. He's like, we're in the mezzanine. I'm like, oh, so am I. He's like, I'm in mezzanine four. I'm like, oh, I'm in mezzanine one. I'm on the opposite side. So we started waving to each other across so the, the building. So before the show started, because we started like 10 minutes, he actually came over. Like he saw me, he knew where I was at, came over and we started talking. And then after the show, we were messaging each other. And he's like, hey, I know you podcast. So if you ever do a podcast on Ted Lasso or any or friends or anything like that, he's like, yeah. you got to let me know. I'm like, dude, you know, I've been podcasting on Ted Lasso for like months now. Yeah. He's like, really? He's like, send yeah. me the link. So I send him the link and he's going to start listening. Awesome. So I love when we, when we still get new listeners. So it's, me it's too. a lot of fun. Yeah. So I will, so I will reiterate Kristen's uh, note there. Uh, tell your friends about us and go on and give us a review online. Cause that really helps us too. Mm -hmm. That helps to find that helps new people to find the podcast. Yeah. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or iTunes or whatever, um, Go on and leave us a review because uh, it really helps us out. You can leave reviews on the website as well on revisitedpod.com. Mm. So find a spot and leave us a review because it really helps us. Uh, but I think with that said, anything else on your end? Nope. All right. With that said, then uh, next episode is, and you know what? I had it written down, but then I closed my book. Uh, season four, episode seven titled headspace which will be the next episode that we're going to discuss i wonder what that's going to be about i don't know i think Me it's about either i think it's about nate's or um yeah nate's mini cooper oh yes yes because there's not a lot of headspace there's not a lot of headspace yeah. yeah 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 and see exactly. i thought maybe it was just going to be about um the the pub oh yeah and that, you yeah. know how they pour their beer yeah, I mean, there's a they got to leave space for the head in the glass. Right, exactly. The head of the, the head of the the ale. We're professionals here, people. <laughs> <laughs>
We're ridiculous. Yeah. All right. With that being said, thank you as always. Thank you for listening, subscribing, all that you guys do. But until next time, we'll see you guys back out on the pitch. Take care. Goodbye. Namaste, baby. Namaste, baby. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.